Hey, what's up, homies? Welcome to season two of Homies TV, titled Work in Progress. This is Wes. And this is Mira. In this season, we really deep dive into the minds and hearts of our members, and we really question some of the things we don't often talk about or taboo topics in our faith journey. Now, the title of this podcast is called Work in Progress. And the aim of this is to really provide an environment to listen and to be heard. We're not trying to promote a culture of dismissiveness, but to really foster a culture of listening and understanding first. So as usual, sit back, relax and enjoy the show. know Wesley you mentioned churches um, might have a similar message or value but the way it's spoken can change everything what are your guys thought on the idea of an echo chamber where like you go to churches or let's say you stayed at one church forever or you went to two or three churches but because we're all in that Christian bubble and Christian community we tend to like bounce off each other and we affirm the same values and does that lead us to be more disconnected in how to engage with those outside the church and when churches become political like you know I mean not that churches in Australia are as extreme as the churches in America but sometimes when they get really political is that something that because Obviously, if something's political, that can create division as well. And the question is, like, is this building the church or is that something the church should be wary of? I don't know. I don't know if that causes people to leave a church or join a church. But um, when I was deeply immersed in, like, a Christian community, I mean, sorry, I still am, but when I deeply was, I was like, you know, so on board with things like, you know, let's say pro-life, for example. But then, like, once you spend time, like, talking to people that are um, not part of church and they talk about the the shortcomings of that voice, then you start to think, was I propagating something that was potentially, like, blindsiding, like, another issue as well? And does that isolate people from Christianity? I think that's what made me think. Oh, yeah. Mary, I'm, I'm huge on, on the whole politicisation of church thing. and that What's your views? Clear separation has to be. Mm. And I get incredibly annoyed. I, I follow politics very closely, Australia and worldwide. But I get incredibly annoyed at the politicization of churches mm. and, and particularly people using the pulpit as a recruitment tool to further their own agendas and their own beliefs. It's very easy to get onto the pulpit and shout a three-word slogan and then using that agenda and pushing it onto the echo chamber so that all your views 
hold credibility in other views. This is the problem. I'm sorry for going off on tangent, but the biggest problem with the American church is the whole politicization of the church and the alliance of that church with the Republican Party. Hmm. So they can go out and do whatever they want, but because their slogan is pro-life, the simplification of politics is built into a slogan and they can do whatever they want. Corrupt politicians, um, you know, nepotism, everything that goes on underneath the radar can can just be ignored because pro-life. The churches cannot do that. It's over it's oversimplification of message. And goes back to the point where Jesus goes, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. The point of taxes. He doesn't politicize the message. He goes, whatever the government says to do, to do it. He doesn't politicize church. He says, go and love your neighbor. That's the only political message he got. And and it's a big red flag for me when someone starts to spout an agenda, particularly from the pulpit that says this is what you should follow. I, I think you can you can follow certain agendas. Like, you know, if I vote for a certain party and people go, why did you vote for that? Because of this. I'm like, don't tell me what to do when I've never seen you talk about anything pro-life in your life except for when it comes to voting time and you give me the <laughs> slogan. You have done nothing to show me that you support the cause. And there are other causes outside of that. So I, I just think people have to be very careful about using the pulpit, which was designed for um, the expression of God's word to become a, a political agenda to say that they are following God's word because they follow a slogan. Well, I can speak to you offline about it, but I'm, I'm very passionate about it. Yeah, no, that's really good. I don't think it's a tangent at all. Like, I, I feel like it's very important if, if, there are people thinking about it, especially like Yeri and yourself, Albert. Um, I, I bet you there's there's heaps of people out there that are that are thinking like this, and which which brings me to like you know like a lot of leaders because of that. Like I, even in the media, they they use that pulpit to to push their own agendas, and they get done for it, and and. And that's why people don't trust churches now, like because there's so many of those cases that those that are meant to be authentic, those that aren't meant to be hypocrites are the ones that are the biggest hypocrites. Um, and that's really sad. I, 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 I guess that's why a lot of people don't go to church anymore or they, they quit church because they, they can't they can't stand it, you know. In the same way that, you know, I've said that that's a red flag when, you know, people use the pulpit for politicisation, I think the green flag is when, when a pastor goes to me and goes, you do your research, you do your praying, you read the Bible, and you come to your own convictions about it. And, and what that tells me is that, like, that pastor, and PJ has always told me this since the beginning, and he's actually never told me to follow any agenda of his, and we actually probably clash on a couple of agendas. But he's always said to me, like, well, you know, what do you feel as though God's impressed upon your heart about this as you read the Bible or you pray? And that's a big green flag about a good Christian leader who says, 
Find your relationship with God and see what he tells you about it. Don't follow the message of my word as I say something. You know, and and particularly when people get challenged by this, I think that's what you need to do for, for big issues. And you need to come to the self-conviction along with God that I've done what I could in this area of life that I believe in. It can't solve everything. No one is going to be perfect in, in any single way in this thing. But God, give me the peace here that I've done what I, I need to do. And whether that means voting for this party or that party or this person or that person. You know, but you, you, no one can question you on that. They can challenge you on some things. But at the end of the day, if you've, you've done to what extent you can, the only fault you can you can say to them is, well, you know, maybe I should do more research, or maybe you know, if this becomes an, an issue that's more of a priority in my heart that God impresses upon me, then it's something I need to explore. I like that how you added the like green flag to look out for. That's really good and helpful. Are there any other other green flags, or like what what would be sort of like if someone was asking you what should I be looking for in a church what are the things um what would you tell them like a a younger person like because I I really want to answer the question of how do we how do we help people that want to leave the church how do we how do we speak to them how do we not condemn them but help them Because a lot of them, when they say they want to leave the church, they don't end up going back to church. Like I I think among among us four, we know plenty of people that have left the church and have never gone back. I remember, like I, there's just um, a friend that I made at work, and turns out she went to church as well. Uh, We caught up and we became really good friends. And she was saying how she's very like creative. Like she's uh, she listens to alternative music and she's very cool, but she felt a bit like not an outsider at church, but she felt that she wasn't your basic Christian girl, I guess. And because of that, um, she felt that whatever she did, like people kind of like noticed it and that made her feel uncomfortable and eventually made her like not comfortable enough to the point of, I guess, not wanting to go to church anymore. But she said one of the biggest turnoff for her was when she brought her non-Christian friend to church. People looked at her funny and she was confused because she was like, I thought that's the whole point. And it's not that she was losing her faith, but it was more like her kind of becoming more like burned to a church. And I think I just wanted to like assure her like, hey, Christians don't look the same. And People are very different. So you being different is fine. Like you don't have to be identical to them. And if you want space, that's okay too. And I was like, I'm happy to talk to you. I'm happy for you to like come and vent. I think like trying to give people a platform, not to like encourage um, complaining, but a place to at least um it's like being in therapy where you can at least verbalize what you're upset about or verbalize what the challenge was instead of just putting it all under the rug and saying everything is okay. 
And then once they've got that out of the way, then they can start exploring churches again. So a few months later when I followed up again, she was listening to church sermons at a different church that her friend goes to. So I was like, oh, okay, that's good. So I think, um, yeah, giving room for someone to at least talk about the hurt and then being a friend and, yeah, encouraging them and hopefully they will join a community again. To the instance with your friend, Yeri, like my biggest problem with that is that like, um, you know, Christians are just always very clear, just don't judge in the Bible, but everyone just doesn't. And judgment, you know, you might think it's a, it's a something that when someone stands up there and says, don't have sex before marriage. But judgment actually occurs in the instance of someone who's visiting a church from the very moment they walk in. And, and this is what Christians haven't got right, is because judgment occurs when someone looks different they do something different when, you know, they speak differently, they have different interests, and, and that judgment occurs in a hundred decisions before someone's saved. Mm. Like what the church needs to, to be better at is, is diversifying and understanding that there are different people. The... the <laughs> You know, the undeniable fact of society is that we are drawn to people that are similar to ourselves. And so churches inevitably become, as you said, echo chambers, not just within the way people talk or their thoughts, but the way people look and act. And so inevitably when you come in there as someone different, immediately a judgment comes upon that, like whether you think it's there or not. The person, the individual judges themselves for being different and from a couple of sly glances or whatnot, the judgment from others, you know. It's, I think it's, it's, it's a big learning that people just need to, to, to change. And, and unfortunately, it's not easy to change that because within a church you have a varying degree of mature and young Christians who are just starting out. Many Christians who have just come there to experience a community and finding out people they f- they fit in with, who don't have who haven't bought onto the agenda or the vision or the the reality of relationship with Christ yet, and in their immaturity can be a source of division as they judge others who have come and said that person doesn't fit within me. So take my point about my previous experience with the big church. Once I realised that there were a lot of young people who were just as insecure and didn't have as many friends at church, well, you realise that it wasn't their intent to hurt, but they found a commonality with someone, A, that speaks Korean with them, that has grown up with them, who, who plays sport with them. And so, therefore, they cling to that. And until they can shed that and find an identity for themselves, they won't be able to come out of that judgment because you have to fit the mould to be able to fit in with the church. So, you know, for me, I, I think the, the crux of the issue is, is personal judgment. 
but you know there's and there's two elements to that it's how do we stop judging and and how do we stop ourselves from judging others within that because we make a judgment when we walk into a church as well you know, i made it with a previous church and i said this church sucks it does not these people are not welcoming and in the same way that they've made a judgment about me, I made a bigger judgment about them and said, I'm not going to fit here and I'm going to go. That's how do we break down those barriers and, and effectively communicate to newcomers that are different? You know, and, and not everyone is going to have that appetite to talk to someone different. It's, can, we, can we change something there? Can authentic... Christianity be achieved? Wow, what a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, is it possible to have perfect Christianity? I think that's definitely impossible. Um, And it is a very loaded question, I think. But I think authentic, I think to a degree, it is achievable in that, like, you know, if we look at what it means to be a Christian, <laughs> I mean, I think it's it, it ties in with humility and forgiveness. And so I think, um, you know, even with the previous question about, you know, what advice or, you know, as a church, I mean, I was even thinking about God, like I judge people when they walk in, you know, um, And which is so ironic considering that, like, I have friends who have been disappointed or who have, you know, left for those very reasons. And so I was kind of like, yeah, didn't know what to say before. But I think um, going back to this question, is it possible to have authentic Christianity? I think as long as there is sort of humility and forgiveness and love, I think that is, and honestly, like, I think that is, what authentic Christianity is. I think I think it's definitely impossible to have perfect Christians because um, the reality is, like, we aren't perfect, you know, it's Jesus who is. Um, but I think we can aspire or have hope, you know, hope to be authentic, you know, hope to be a church and a community that, you know, is loving and, you know, you know have the fruits of, you know, what it means to be a Christian. Um, That's just my word vomit. But, yeah, I think that's, you know, that's just how I'm processing this question is that, like, yeah, definitely there is not a perfect church and, you know, where I'm not perfect, there's not a perfect pastor, like, going on your point, Wes. But I think um, as an individual and as a church, if we recognise that, um, and we understand that, um, I think then you can experience authentic, you know, Christianity or authentic community within the Christian sort of church. Um, yeah, that's my take on the question. That's a way better answer than I could have ever. <laughs> <laughs> but you know sort of like you know like I will disappoint myself even myself you know like even recently with the challenge of like saying the Lord's Prayer every day every morning like I disappoint myself and 
I'm like, man, I can't even do that, you know? And so, you know, and we know that the Bible constantly says, you know, the, you know, the path is narrow and it is daily that we come to the cross, daily we commit ourselves. Um, and so, yeah, I think when you look at it in terms of authentic and perfect, then that's sort of where the difference would be. I think following on from your your answer, Mira, particularly around humility and forgiveness, I think I agree with the whole perfect Christian, like everyone's going to suck and we'll, we'll disappoint each other to, to no end. Um, I think what authentic Christianity is, is, you know, you think about what are we trying to do? What do we try to do when we say we're Christians? We're trying to reflect God's, you know, image and, and grow and become closer to Christ in our relationship with him. So authentic Christianity is actually a reflection of his image. Um, and the strongest reflection of his image is actually in the love for one another and particularly the forgiveness of sins. Um, I think the greatest power in experiencing the forgiveness of one another, I think, is where the greatest authenticity of Christianity comes into. Because once you experience the forgiveness, you understand the, the amplitude of the forgiveness. And, and therefore, when you experience that, you want to share it. And when you want to share it, that's when you, you understand that faults are always going to be there. But the ability to stand there and say, do I have a right to be angry at this or do I want to forgive and reflect? You know, because the justice system says that you can go and take someone to court. But the Christian system says you can stand there and choose to forgive. You have every right to do whatever you want. But there is so much power in the reflection of, of God's image. And I think that's where most authentic Christianity is displayed. So the authenticity is when we display more and more of that as much as possible in choosing to forego our right to be angry, to our right to be disappointed, our right to feel aggrieved and, and to say, you know, I'll let it go and, and show love in other means. I think that's that's when it's most authentically displayed. And, and that, that, that is always different for people, how they receive that love. But, you know, your authenticity is based on your conviction and, and how you see, have I done as much as I can to go to the ends of, to go to the extent of what I can do to show that I love or forgive this person? I think Mira and Albert, articulated this so well like I don't know what else to add yeah and yeah I think I think that's a perfect answer like I, I don't think I can add anything else to it but that's I I really hope that when this episode goes out I just want to send it to all the people that have been hurt by the church <laughs> <laughs> um but seriously I, I wish i i i really hope that this episode really goes out and 
someone out there and hear it and, and really understand. And hopefully it helps them through their hurt, their journey of being able to forgive the church or being able to forgive. Um, because it's really, it's real when, when someone, when the church who is meant to be the place that the community is meant to keep you safe ends up being the one that hurts you the most, it's, the damage is real. And, and it hurts a lot and it takes a while to get over. And, and I'm sure a lot of us, like even here in this, on this podcast, there's hurts that we're dealing with and how do we grow from that? How do we move forward from that? And so, yeah, I really hope this episode really helps those people and probably helps us. Like I've learned a lot from you guys from this. Um, yeah. So thank you. Thank you. I've just been reminded and like tr- not triggered, well triggered, but in a like positive way. <laughs> um, I think, no, you're right. I think, you know, even as we were sharing, there were certain friends and, you know, people and colleagues that, you know, I know um, have been hurt or are still going through that. And so, yeah, my hope and prayer also is that, you know, maybe I can send this and share it and be like, hey, <laughs> And then maybe that might strike a conversation, you know, and no, I think it was really good. I, I do want to end it on, on this point because I, I was really thinking about particular, you know, say communities like the LGBT community and stuff like that. And like, why is that that when suddenly something that gets said, the first response is always like, you know, um, Christians disagree with it or you know you're going to go to hell or whatever and and like my you know and I always search for the heart of you know some Christians just say oh but you know Jesus just says to love um you know and and I think when you when you go back to to that like it's true that's our first response to love um and then you sort of you sort of read about, you know, particularly Paul's letters, which are really a, a lot of instructions upon the church about do this, do that. This shouldn't be permitted. This shouldn't be permitted. And I always go like, you know, Jesus says this, but, but Paul says this. And, and I think what you have to remember about Paul's instructions to the church is that, and I always say this to, uh, I guess, you know, whoever I had the conversation with, but I said, if you take away the fact that Paul met Jesus, his instructions to the church are literally a set of rules that would have been that would have been as normal as the light of day in in any Jewish in Judaism or Jewish Jewish. He was a, a, a law writer. He wrote rules and things. So you take away Jesus, that's all it was. People need to understand the fact that, like, what Paul writes is actually an overflow of meeting with Jesus. And when you take that perspective about what he writes, it's not about the rules themselves, but it's about his love for Jesus first. Then he says this stuff. You know, too often, you know, especially the church with shortcomings, they say, we stand against this and we stand you know pro-life and you know again it's 
the simplification of agendas without understanding why Paul wrote those letters. They say, Paul wrote this, so we should agree with this. Paul wrote that out of an overflow. He didn't write it as a set of rules to be followed for the sake of following rules. He wrote it because he met Jesus, he fell in love, and he said, this, you know, and this is what I need to, to, to say and write. So not about, you know, this and that. It's, it's really a, the base of it. It's like he loved Jesus so much and he came to this. So not because, you know, we don't, we're not against abortion because this. We're not against gays because this. We're not against anyone, you know. We just have to be very careful about confusing the agendas. And, and the love of Jesus, first and foremost, was what he always spoke about all through the, through the Gospels. He never said any of those rules. He wasn't the one that said those rules. He spoke a lot about love and, and you know, preaching about the hearts of people, the internal heart situation. Um, yeah, and, and I just, I find that always jarring when I hear Christians go out and preach about the rules for the church without without speaking about the love first because that's not the order that is definitely the wrong order which is spoken about and and even in the right order it has to be preceded with the context that Paul, Jesus, or Paul actually met Jesus and his life was changed because in any other context right, he was just writing a book and he was just telling any other organisation how to run there on their management.